you have a Bible, take it and turn to Luke chapter 10. We began a study in Luke chapter 10. Um, last Sunday, we're going to continue it, verses 1 through 16. If you don't have one, there's some on the back table there. Feel free to, to grab one. I think if you maybe, I want to say as short as five years ago, if you would ask someone what a selfie is, do you think that they would know what that is? Maybe some people here don't even know what a selfie is. We take a picture of yourself, usually with your phone or whatever. Public confession, who has taken a selfie? CJ, raise your hand. I've seen him. On, <laughs> I'm just. We we live in a in a culture that wants to share everything, right? You know, we we have all these social media sites and different places where people want to share something. They want to tell something about about who they are. Uh, that's kind of just within us. We want other people to know about us. And what's interesting here about Luke chapter 10 and about the Christian life is that Jesus calls us to to share something, to tell a message, but in fact it's not really about us, is it? It's about God. It's about Jesus. It's about what the good news that he's come to bring. It's about his kingdom and the peace that he's, he is bringing. I, I find myself, to be honest, that sometimes I, I want to share more about me than I want to share about Jesus. It's a lot easier. Uh, it's a lot easier to talk about how great I am than to talk about how great Jesus is, to talk about how good the gospel is. But this is what we are called to do. If we are disciples, followers of Jesus, we are to make disciples. We are to tell other people about what Christ has come to do, about his death and his resurrection and the new life that he offers. And so we saw last week in our passage, our main idea was, um, as disciples of Jesus, we are all sent to proclaim and bring the peace and nearness of the kingdom of God. And we do it in the authority that he has given. So, so as disciples, we're sent out, we are to proclaim and bring, uh, think about that uh, in word and deed, we're to talk about the peace of the kingdom and the nearness of the kingdom. Jesus is really practical here, too, about how those who are followers of Jesus should do this. And so let's read Luke 10, I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. We looked at verses 1 through 5, I'll summarize those and then we'll focus on the rest of the passage. But Luke 10, let me read verses 1 through 16 for us. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be on this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? 
you will be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. First five verses here, we find that Jesus is sending out 72 disciples. These are not the twelve, this is another, 72 others, and he sends them on ahead of him into towns to proclaim the message of the kingdom, to proclaim that he is, he is coming, and they go out two by two. And we saw that Jesus talks about the harvest, that there's this plentiful harvest, and the harvest is souls, the harvest is people that are to receive the gospel, that are come to know Jesus as Savior. And Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but we just don't have enough laborers to go into the harvest and to bring it in. So therefore, you need to do two things. You need to pray. Literally, you need to beg God to send out laborers. And then you need to go as a laborer. We do both. It's both and. We go on our way. We go out recognizing the opposition. We go out in faith, not carrying anything with us. We go out with urgency. And we go out with this message. The message is what? Peace be on this house. That's our opening line when we share the gospel with others. God has come to make peace. Peace be on this house. We proclaim this message of peace. And as we do that, there are two responses. There are those who receive us and our message, and there are those who reject us and our message. How do we respond to these two groups? Jesus gives some instruction. He talks about it in two different contexts, but we're going to try to combine these. There's the idea of going into a house. You see that in verse 5, whatever house you enter. And then in verse 8, he talks about going into a town whenever you enter a town. And so there's small groups and there's large groups, but in both there's people that receive the message and the messenger, and there's people that reject the message and the messenger. And Jesus gives us some really practical instruction. But verse 16 kind of tells us what's, that, that what is at stake is, it's, is much more than just us being accepted, than, than people liking us. There's something deep going on here. He says, the one who hears you hears who? Me. The one who rejects you rejects me, the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The reality is that if we are true disciples of Jesus and we go out proclaiming the peace and the nearness of the kingdom, that, that we are speaking for God in a sense. And that if people receive our words, they are receiving the very words of Jesus. And that they reject our words, they are rejecting the very words of God. And Jesus sends us out. We can think about ourselves as, as messengers maybe sent by a king. As, as ambassadors is a good word to think about, that we go out that in ourselves we don't have any authority, but we are instilled with authority by God, and we go out and we proclaim this message in the power and the authority that God has given to us. And so we speak, as it were, for God. Paul picks up on this in the book of Second Corinthians. He says that, that those of us who have been reconciled to God are given a ministry of reconciliation. And then he says this in Second Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Think about that. God making his appeal through us. God is appealing to sinners to be reconciled to him. How? Through you and me. When we speak. And he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so as we are sent out, we have to recognize, I think we recognize two things. We recognize what a great privilege to be the mouthpiece of God, to speak forth this mystery to people, but also what a responsibility to be ambassadors of God, as bearers of the gospel, to proclaim the peace and the nearness of the kingdom, but in such a way that we actually announce either life or death over people. 
That's what Paul also says in 2 Corinthians. He says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. That when we speak forth the gospel, that those who reject it, it is wor- they are words of death. The stench of death. But to those who receive it, they are words of life. After that, Paul says that, he then says, who is sufficient for these things? Who, who can do this? The task we've been given is, is one that's a privilege, but we also have to realize the gravity of it, the seriousness of it. But we need to, we need to do it nonetheless. And so we go out with this message of peace and, and, and Jesus gives us some instructions about how we're to respond to the different groups that we speak to. Let's think first about those who receive us. Those who receive us. So we come with this message of peace. We say, peace be on this house. And there's those that receive that. If you see that in verse 6, it says, If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. Interesting. Jesus calls these people sons of peace. Or people talk about persons of peace. This is really big within... um, um, mission strategists, people who are trying to take the gospel um, to others, especially people that are in um, hard-to-reach areas or those that are resistant to Christians. And there's this idea of looking for persons of peace, trying to find a person of peace. What is a, a person of peace? I think as we look later in the in the passage, we kind of see a little bit what's going on, but they're those who, who would receive us into their home. They're those who provide with food. I asked, I asked one, my friend Nate, I said, what's a person of peace? He said, it's someone who gives you food. <laughs> well, we all love persons of peace, don't we? Uh, there are those who, who practice heartfelt hospitality. They, they, they welcome people. Of course, not all people are necessarily persons of peace. Someone could welcome you. But, but they don't just welcome you and provide for you, but they also welcome the message of the gospel. They're willing to engage with the message that we are bringing. The opposite of peace is rage or anger. It's people that are angry when we present the gospel. But there are people who are, their hearts are open to hear what we have to say. So there are people that, that, that are people of peace, that they, they respond to what we are saying. So we, some also say that persons of peace provide some kind of a, a gateway to other groups of people. There's someone that maybe has, has influence. They're a well-respected individual and they open doors for the gospel to go out. This idea of persons of peace, this isn't like a magic formula. Um, And I don't think that, uh, I think it's a great concept, but I don't think that that Jesus sends us out on a scavenger hunt. Okay, When you have a scavenger hunt, you have a list of things that you're looking to find, and it might say something like, you're looking for a blue string. So you say, I'm looking for a blue string. You don't care about yellow strings or red strings or black strings or orange strings. You don't care about any of that. You just want, I want a blue string. That's all I care about. And as we go out with the message of the gospel, we're not just, it's not a scavenger hunt where we're trying to find certain people. We proclaim the message of the gospel to all. And we see how people respond to it. And we know that, that Jesus is the, the Lord of the harvest. God is the Lord of the harvest. He's going to bring people in. We don't know who he's going to bring in. So we go into the harvest and we proclaim the gospel to to all. You know, if you think about persons of peace, who do you know that might be a person of peace? You know, maybe a, as a co-worker or a family member, a friend, someone who knows you're a Christian. Maybe, maybe they, they're willing to engage with you. They're willing to ask questions with you. They're willing to, to talk with you about your beliefs. Maybe you've shared a meal with them. Maybe you, sh- maybe you should share a meal with them. 
That these are people that we should pursue. They're persons of peace. They're open to hearing the, the good news of the gospel. They're not resistant to it. There may also be people that represent a unique opportunity for the gospel to, to spread. There might be someone at your workplace or in your group of friends that's sort of the unofficial leader. You know, They're not recognized as that, but everyone sort of follows them. Everyone is, is connected to them in some way. And this idea of persons of peace, it's, it's that, that maybe that person is, is the key, this, this kind of door that unlocks and opens up the gospel to spread in unique ways. Maybe it's someone of a different ethnicity, someone who speaks a language you don't know, is familiar with a culture that you don't know. All people could be persons of peace, and so we proclaim this, this message of the gospel and see how people respond. Here's what I think is interesting about this, though. Jesus is strategic. Jesus is telling us, as we go out, we need to think. We don't just go out and we go out and we proclaim to anyone, but at the same time we think about where the gospel is going to go. I don't, he's not looking for popular people. He's not looking for rock stars. You know, I mean, we know that that Jesus is his love is for the least of these, for those who who know their their need. But he calls us to be thoughtful about how we approach and who we approach. We should think and we should pray in strategic ways. Now, let's say we find someone who's a person of peace that, that we speak forth the gospel and they receive it. Well, what are we to do? Those who receive us, the first thing we do is we, Jesus says, we remain and we receive. <laughs> remain and receive. If they have received us, then we are to remain with them and receive what they offer us. And we're to do it without guilt. He says here, whatever house you enter, say, peace be on this house. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And then in verse 7, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. He says, if you go and people will provide for your physical needs, remember they're not taking anything with them. If people will provide for you, then then you are to take it without guilt. If you're doing the work of God, if if these guys are preaching for not for personal gain, but for the glory of God, then Jesus says it's right for people to provide for the needs that they have. I think this is a good reminder. Um, it's a good reminder for me to think about this. Now, because as a, as a minister of the gospel, there's a responsibility for me to work. I, I, I love this. It says, um, the laborer deserves his wages. This idea of a laborer, it just says to me, that's, that's hard work. And Paul will later say those who work hard at proclaiming God's word deserve to be compensated for it. And, and when things are going right, then there's, if someone's working hard, then people are, are willing to give and there's no guilt in the receiving of that. And, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. And Jesus is saying, that's right. That, that's the way things are supposed to be. There are people that are appointed to this task. Don't feel guilty if that's what you are doing. And so it's a good reminder. And, and also for those that may be going into ministry, it is right. But to remember that it's assumed that we're working hard. We're working hard in this task. So workers are to remain and to receive without guilt, but also without prejudice. Jesus talks about not going from house to house. If someone showed up in town, they went to a house, and that house received them, then they're to stay there. Now, it could be that the first house they go into maybe is a little run down. Maybe the food's not as good. Maybe the bed isn't as soft. The idea is that stay there. These people have received you. They've welcomed you. Don't, don't go out looking for a better home with better food and a, and a softer bed. That people have, have received you. There's this temptation to travel around and find something better. 
I think that can be true for us. We're always on the lookout for, for some place or someone who, who is, we're just more comfortable with, that, that maybe offers us a little bit more. But Jesus says, if someone receives you, someone is open to the gospel, then, then stick with them. Stay with them. Keep continuing to, to proclaim the good news to them and talk to them if they have a receptivity to the gospel. The lack of prejudice is not only seen in the people, but also in, in the food that we eat. Do you notice how food just keeps showing up here? If you remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, says verse 7. And then later on it says um, in verse 8, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. This is the great missionary principle. Don't reject food. If people put food in front of you, you eat it. Um, if you talk to a missionary long enough, they'll have a story about what kind of foods they've eaten in the work of the ministry. Uh, Andrea told me that a good strategy is to never, um, don't ask until after you've eaten. If something's put in front of you, you don't know what it is, just just eat it. And then when you're done, you say, what was that that we just ate? You know? um, why should we not reject food? Now, this applies in, in, to all of us, not just missionaries, right? Why should we not reject food? Because there's this sense in which when someone offers you food, they, they're offering you themselves. It's something they've invested time and money and energy, they, they, and they're presenting it to you as a blessing. So what does that look like if we reject it? To reject their food is to reject who? Them. But to accept their food is, is to accept them. That, that you're welcoming them into your life, and they are welcoming you. Food is just, it's a great bridge. A meal can break down so many walls in relationships. It's a way to break down cultural barriers. You know, we've talked about all the different ethnic groups that are surrounding our city who call Louisville home. And we want to engage in good gospel conversations with these, with these folks. And, and we can think about the bridge of food. You can think about going to, a, to an ethnic restaurant. You go to a restaurant with, with folks that maybe they're not like you. It's, a, it's from a different culture. And you go into that restaurant and you begin to have conversations. And you say, hey, tell me what kind of food you enjoy. What, what's on this menu that I cannot read at all? Tell me what I should eat. And then we say, I, I like this food. And we say, that means I like you. And let me talk to you a little bit. Can I ask you about the things that are on the walls? You might see pictures or unique things because it's, it's something different. We open up this opportunity to engage in conversations with people. I encourage you to do that. Don't waste your time of going out to eat. There's a stack of these things on the back table. The Louisville International Food Guide. Now, that's exciting to some of you. It's scary to others. Um, <laughs> but the Louisville International Food Guide was put together by a ministry here in town, actually, with the goal of engaging people groups, engaging those that are here in the city. So you can open this up and you can find um, an Iranian restaurant. You can go and you can rub shoulders with someone who's from Iran. And you can talk to them and, and build relationship with them. Food is this, is this wonderful bridge that we have. So some of you might be excited. I'd encourage you to grab one. Don't waste the time you go out to eat. You know, my family, we love to go to Qdoba. It's easy. But there's, it, it's Mexican food, but I'm not engaging with Mexicans when I go to Qdoba. But I'll tell you what, I, I've gone to Abyssinia with my friend Haggis, and I can engage with people that are from Ethiopia and, and that, are, that are from Eritrea and, and start to talk to them. And, and I enjoy their food, and so they're welcoming me and having conversations with me. So I encourage you, this is a great practical thing to do to engage people with the gospel. Plus you get good food. 
Of course, going to a home, someone's home is even greater, isn't it? To be invited into someone's home or to invite someone into your home. Maybe you have someone that you're developing a, a relationship with and, and you would be invite them into your house. Maybe it's a neighbor, not necessarily of a different ethnicity, but someone that you could invite to share a meal with you or, or to have some coffee with you. And that opens up conversation. And if you go to someone's house and they put food in front of you, eat it. <laughs> you should eat the food that people put in front of you. Maybe the food is, is not necessarily, maybe it's strange food. Maybe it's not necessarily strange. Maybe you think, well, this silverware looks dirty. Maybe you have a thousand other reasons for not eating that food. It may be, I think about the disciples. Jesus is sending them out east of the Jordan. It may be that they were going into cities and towns where people were not practicing the food laws in the way that they did. And Jesus says, don't ask questions, just eat. If there's food put in front of you, eat the food. Uh, it's, a, it's a radical principle. Now, now, there's certainly times where... It's okay not to eat if you have dietary restrictions or, you know, if it's going to be bad, just, just don't eat it. But it may be that we pray what I've heard is the missionary prayer, which is, God, if I put this down, don't let it come back up. <laughs> There's times where we need to we, we stretch ourselves. We were praying this morning and John was saying, let's do, let's do kind of weird things. Let's, let's have people into our homes and let's um, invite them and have people into our church. If we have potluck. Let's have people come and bring food that we might not recognize and build relationships around this. Always eat what is set before you. And you know what's funny is I talk about how maybe this is a struggle, but very often if you go to places, you interact with people, you're probably going to find you like it. We stretch ourselves. We, we like it. And we like the food almost as much as we like the people. And remember, we're building bridges. Jesus is so practical, isn't he? Eat what's set before you. And food is this bridge, and we need to use it to engage people with the gospel. So we remain and receive. We receive without guilt, without prejudice towards the people or towards their food. And we look for opportunities. But just as it says here that we should, with those that receive us, we also proclaim the nearness of the kingdom. It says that here, um, uh, verses, verse 9, Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. The nearness of the kingdom. The, the kingdom has to do with the rule and the reign of God. And it's something that Jesus has initiated in coming to the earth. That he's saying, God is, in, is the ruler. But it's going to come in its fullness when Jesus returns. But still, the miracles and the blessings of Jesus reveal the power and the peace and the goodness and the blessings of the kingdom. And they are, they are here. The kingdom is near in the sense that Jesus has come to bless and to bring salvation. And it's here in this present time. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has come with this message of, of peace. And so the 72 go out and to, pro to proclaim the nearness of the kingdom, and we are too as well, and we're to do it in deed and in word. Verse 9, heal the sick in it. In this town where they receive you, heal the sick. The disciples are instructed, if people receive you in a town, you are to heal the sick that are there. Now, uh, there, there's this blessing that's associated with the healing that would be a bridge to them sharing the gospel. It would be this display of the power of God that then they would say, Jesus doesn't just want to heal your sickness. Jesus wants to heal your soul. He wants to save you. He wants to give you eternal salvation. Can God heal the sick? Yes. Could God use the healing of a sick person as a means of opening their heart to receive the gospel? Absolutely. 
think sometimes this is maybe what we're missing in our gospel relationships, the missing part of evangelism, that we proclaim the nearness of God's kingdom, the blessings of God's kingdom in deeds. It, it may be us blessing someone in a material way with what God has blessed us with. But it may be saying, what, what are the needs that are in your life? What are the, the struggles that you're having? I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would reveal himself to you through the nearness of the kingdom, through the blessing that he might bring into your life. I think we should pray this with, with faith. We might pray for someone to be healed and that that would be a bridge for them understanding, God cares about me. God loves me. They might not have a job and you say, I'm going to pray that you find a job. And they find a job and you say, you know what? You found a job. That's God's kindness to you. God loves you. Let me tell you how much God loves you. He loves you so much that He sent Jesus to die for you. To not just give you a job, but to save your soul for all eternity. There are blessings on those who are not Christians. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about people who are not fully devoted followers of Jesus. And they, they had not responded with repentance and faith. But here's what he said they had. They had tasted the heavenly gift. They had shared in the Holy Spirit. They had tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. They had experienced all of those things just by being with God's people. And as we show forth the nearness of the kingdom, we are to do it in deed. Use those things. God wants to bless people as a means of drawing their hearts to faith. But not only in deed, but we must speak in word. We must call people to repentance. We must call people to faith. If we stop with deeds, if we stop with displaying the kingdom through, through love, then, then we have not truly loved the person. The gospel is a message that must be spoken. We must explain that who God is and how we have rebelled against Him and that in our sin we are under God's wrath. We must talk about who Jesus is, that His perfect life and His atoning death and His resurrection are what give us hope. That it's not about what we do, but it's all about what Jesus has done that allows us to be in a relationship with Him. We must tell people that peace with God is found only through repentance toward God and faith in Jesus, that there is a Savior. Jesus has come. He is the Savior of the world. And there's no hope of salvation outside of Him. So that's how we respond to those who receive us. But those who receive us, we, we, we um, remain and receive. We stick with them. We receive the blessings of them. But we also proclaim. We proclaim the good news of the peace of the kingdom of God. And we do it in deed and we do it in word. What about those when we come and we say, peace be on this house? And they reject us. How do we respond to those who reject us? Look at... Um, Verse 6, And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. We see later on, um, verse 10, Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. For those that reject us, Jesus says, Leave them and take your peace with you. (laughs) We leave them. It's a tough teaching, I think, to think about those that, that reject the gospel, that we're just to leave them. I think, again, that this is that strategic idea that, that, that if we spend time with people that are hardened to the gospel, then in some ways we're neglecting those persons of peace that are ready to receive it. 
I think we need to recognize the role of the Holy Spirit in all of this. That is, we, as we speak forth the gospel, someone may not right at the beginning look like a person of peace. They might look like they're rejecting us, but, but we're called to stick with them and to continue to, to proclaim the good news of the gospel to them. But there is a time to walk away. I don't know when that time is. There's no hard and fast rule really on this. And there's times when people really don't want us around. And we're called to stick with them. When we talk about engaging unreached people groups and unengaged people groups, and they don't want us there. <laughs> They're rejecting us. We're still called to go. And so there's this tension, I think, in Jesus' words that, yes, there are times when we move on, but we don't do it with joy. We, don't, we do it with a heavy heart. I was reminded of the quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. There's a time to leave. And yet there's a time to plead with people. I think that's part of what this Jesus is saying at the end here, where he says, as you leave, you're going to say something. You're going to say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. We proclaim the nearness of the kingdom. It's the same message, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? In the, town, in, the, in the town that receives us, we say, the kingdom of God has come near. In the town that rejects us, we say, the kingdom of God has come near. Same message, different meaning. This idea is that the kingdom has come near, but you have rejected it. You have missed it. It's passing you by. This is the message that we proclaim to those who reject us and thereby reject Jesus, we proclaim it again. We do it in deed and in word. They do it in deed. They shake the dust off their feet. It's a protest against them. They, they say, in a sense, we, we want nothing to do with you because the judgment of God is going to come on you. And we do it in word. We make it clear that they are rejecting their only hope of salvation. But think about this. This isn't the last word for this town. Can you imagine the disciples walking out, shaking the dust off of them and saying, your blood is on your own heads. We proclaim the nearness of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come near and you have rejected it. I think some people at that moment said, oh wait, these guys are serious. (laughs) And maybe the town said, well, why don't you come back and talk a little bit longer? Or maybe some people ran out to them and said, the town's rejecting you, but can you tell me a little bit more? God is always open to repentance. I think about Jonah. Jonah is to go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes to Nineveh. And what does he say? He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. You guys got 40 days and God is coming to destroy you. And what does Nineveh do? It says in in Jonah 3, 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. That the words of judgment were what they needed to hear to draw them to Jesus. We don't like to talk about judgment. (laughs) I don't like to talk about judgment. But it may be that those who continue to reject the gospel, that what we need to say is we need to say, listen, the kingdom of God is coming near to you, and you are rejecting it. And therefore, God is going to bring judgment upon you if you continue to reject it. 
And that serious message, the soberness of that message, might be what God uses to awaken someone's heart to say, maybe I should think about this a little bit more than I have. But if people do not repent, Jesus says there is a greater condemnation. He says in verse 12, I tell you it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Then he talks about Tyre and Sidon. These Old Testament cities that were destroyed by God. And he says it's, it would be better to be a part of Sodom and Tyre and Sidon than to be a part of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. Why? Because Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum saw Jesus. <laughs> they saw the miracles of Jesus. They saw the nearness of the kingdom and they rejected it. Sodom and Tyre and Sidon, they never saw that. They rejected God. But Jesus says if they had seen this, they would have repented. You all have seen it. And you are hardening your hearts and you are not repenting. It's better for those cities than it is for you guys. There's a condemnation that is to come and it has to do with this greater revelation. The book we're reading in Sunday School, Erwin Lutzer talks about the, the cry, Father, forgive them, they know not what they're doing. The people of, 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 that were crucifying Jesus were ignorant of who Jesus was. They were ignorant of the sinful thing that they were doing. But still they needed forgiveness. Luther goes on to say they should have known. They should have seen it. They should have seen who Jesus truly was, but their responsibility is based on their knowledge. And Luther says this, if responsibility is based on knowledge, those who are born in our culture will experience greater condemnation than those who have never heard. It's a scary thing, really. It's a scary thing to think about those who have heard the gospel and then reject it. Jesus says there is a greater condemnation. Hebrews talks about this. I mentioned Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 8. It says that, that those people that were a part of the church but weren't believers had experienced a lot. But listen to the context. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for for whose sake it is cultivated receives blessing from God, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. He's saying there's those of you that have been in the covenant community of God and you've experienced the blessings of God and you continue to reject the gospel. That is a scary thing. Hebrews 10, 26-31 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, if we keep sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There's a warning in Scripture. And those who hear the message of the gospel and hear it over and over and over and over. And those who see 
the message of the gospel proclaimed in deeds of, of God answering prayers and then reject it. If they experience the nearness and the goodness and the blessing of the kingdom but reject Jesus as king and turn from sin, Jesus says there is greater condemnation for them. They get near to the kingdom and they never go in. What a scary thing. This is a message that we proclaim, though. Because there really are only two categories. When we proclaim the message of peace, there are those who receive it, and there are those who reject it. And those who receive the message of the kingdom are brought into the kingdom. They, are, they come in as children of the king. And those who reject it are cast off. They're placed into the hands of the living God. But not as a son or as a daughter, but as objects of wrath. So we proclaim, we're, we're going to go out and we're going to proclaim, and our opening words are this, peace. Peace be on this house. Jesus has come to make peace. And there are those who will say, tell me more about that. God opens their heart. We continue to tell them the truth about who God is, but there are those who will reject. We talk to them more and they reject. Talk to them more and they, they reject Jesus says there's a point at which we say, listen, if you continue to reject this, the judgment of God will come on you. We go out and we proclaim, be reconciled to God while there is still time. Now is the day of salvation. Acts 17.30, we say with Paul, the times of ignorance God overlooked. He's been patient. He has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? This is what Paul says. He commands you to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day. There is a day coming in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That day is coming and we need to proclaim that that is true. We go, let's go. Let's go and tell people, let's do it with with joy that we've been given this privilege to be the mouthpiece of God. Let's do it with reverence. Let's do it with gravity, with seriousness to understand that we've been called to be the mouthpiece of God. To proclaim life and death over people. And I would say this. That there may be some here that you've heard this message over and over and over. I want to say you need to turn. Don't get near to the kingdom and not go in. It's better to have never heard the message than to hear it and to reject it. There is greater condemnation, Jesus says. Be reconciled to God. Know this. Jesus has come to make peace through the blood of His cross. Those who are apart from Jesus will face eternal punishment. But if we repent, if we believe, if we come to Jesus, we receive life everlasting. We are made sons and daughters of God. Be reconciled to God. Make peace with God. And let us go and call people to do the same.